he looks like... He looks like shit. <laughs> he looks like the non-famous version of Patrick Warburton. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Spall most famous. He, he looks like... Uh, I, hate, I hate that. He looks like if Oscar Wilde was born a hundred years later. <laughs> <laughs> My god. Either this movie goes or I do. I, he looks like the guy from Top Gear that isn't uh, the mm, big racist game. or the small racist. He's the medium-sized racist. racist. Huh? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them were racist, but I was only aware of... Um, uh, Jeremy yeah. Clarkson actually doing racism. I mean, they still hang out with him after that, so, like, that they're at the fair. very least tolerant of his racism. It's tolerant. A young Cameron Crowe looks like he's in a shoegaze band. Old Cameron Crowe looks like uh, a wax figure of Mark Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> to be um, honest, old Cameron Crowe looks like he's in the same shoegaze band. <laughs> He's just a dad now. I he looks like uh on Darnielle made some bad some more bad decisions in life. Yeah, but I'm Neil Jacoby, here with my brother Eric Jacoby, and we're talking about 2001's Vanilla Sky, directed by Cameron Crowe and starring Tom Cruise. But we've got someone with us today. Who would that be? Hi, I'm Shane. Hi, Shane. Where would we know you from? Uh, You would know me from my former podcast, the Meme Lovin' Dude Cast, which Neil appeared on. I don't like that. Mm -mm. Nuh-uh. What? You're what? off the what? show. I'm making an executive decision. <laughs> oh no, what did I do? I said meme-loving dude cast. <laughs> it's a podcast for dudes who love memes. <laughs> it's the podcast for... <laughs> What's wrong with the meme-loving dude cast? Get out of my house. Come into my house. You don't even call me Podfather. No, no, we're not doing this. Episode canceled. I'm already in a bad mood because we're discussing Vanilla Sky. There's so many other things that happened in 2001 that I would rather be discussing. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I agree. I would rather be talking about uh, The Rock versus Steve Austin in WrestleMania X7. Actually, I was thinking about something different, though also a tragedy. Um, the release of uh, Fall Out Boy's first album, Under the Cork Tree. Oh, I thought you were gonna say. I, uh, I thought you were gonna say 9/11 and the fact that more cops didn't die. I was actually gonna say the death of uh, old Dale Earnhardt. Rest in peace. Worst thing to happen in 2001. Nah. Anyway, moving away from topics that will make Eric angry. Shane, what is your favorite Carly Rae Jepsen song? 
Oh, okay. Jeez. Dude, cast guy. All right. This this is really hard because um, a lot of arguments can be made for different ones. I am because my my alarm when I wake up in the morning is run away with me. Nice. Ooh, that's good. That is the best way to wake up in the morning. But I might have to say his favorite color. That is nice. a very good one. I think that, that honestly might be my favorite. That I is go an underrated back and, one. Like, favorite color might even be better than your type as like objectively best to me oh yeah because that is you don't hear people talk about favorite color much no, when it comes to, like, classic carly songs i mean you hear me talk about it but not other people yeah you hear people with less discerning taste not mm-hmm. talking about <laughs> this movie would be so much better if you just removed all of the music and replaced it with carly ray jepson's emotion this I don't know. So much better if you removed the entire movie and just listened to Carly Rae Jepsen's emotion. Yeah, that'd be the best movie of all time, then. Yeah. Honestly, this movie would be so much better if you removed the story and just made it a soundtrack album, because there are some very good songs in this movie, but they are shackled to a story. Oh, God. Imagine, okay, you remove Tom Cruise. And you replace him with Tom Hanks, but Tom <laughs> Hanks is doing the thing where Carly Rae Jepsen's voice is coming out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> like for the music video, I really like you. <laughs> just put together probably the only two ways you can salvage this movie. And one of those is literally just replace it. It's not even a movie. It's just Cameron Crowe tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, I put together this mix CD. I'm wondering if you're going to give it a listen. Here are some songs I like. Well, this, oh, mo- God. this movie is already Cameron Crowe just tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, here are some things that I like. Hey, I, hey, I like Gibson SG guitars. How cool is that? Hey, I like Francois Dufresne movies. How cool is that? Hey, 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 I like Bob Dylan. I like the freewheel and Bob Dylan. How cool is that? Here, you see, they're doing the, they're doing the pose from the cover. That was the corniest shit I've ever seen. They pointed it out at the end, which made me feel dumb, because right after it happened, I sent it to the group chat of us three, and I was like, whoa, did you guys catch this? And you're like, of course we fucking did. They pointed it out in the movie. And I was like, oh, it looks like I'm a big dipshit here. (laughs) I didn't want to step on your moment. Yeah, at the end, they were like, you know, it was... Well, we'll get to that when we talk about the plot of the movie, but they show that shot and the cover of Freewheeling Bob Dylan, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Big Mouth Strikes Again. (laughs) Speaking of the plot of the movie, Shane, as our guest, would you like to attempt a uh, minute-long summary of this film? Oh, boy. Okay. Before you do, do, one last thing. I'd like, I think this movie would be better if instead of um, uh, Bob Dylan, he likes the Smiths. (laughs) And he, <laughs> the two of them just sort of lie on the ground with their hands up, and then, you know, <laughs> Tom Cruise just sort of sits and he has like his tummy rolls, and he's like, yeah, just like. <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise puts on an army helmet, writes Meet His Murder on it, stares at the camera, and does a wink. Oh my god. And instead of uh, Gregory Peck from To Kill a Mockingbird as his dad, the image they see there is... um, Mel Gibson from Tequila Sunrise. I was going to say that picture of of Atticus Finch, well, that painting of Atticus Finch shirtless holding a 40 with Biggie and Tupac. (laughs) (laughs) 
doing some deep meme cuts today. Mm-hmm. When you put it like that, I don't want that to happen anymore. <laughs> so shame. It's like that the M word to me is like Beetlejuice, but instead of like Beetlejuice appearing when you say it three times, I've canceled the podcast. Damn, Eric, back at it again with the getting mad. Get out of here. <laughs> That was the worst. That was never funny. At no point was Damn Daniel even remotely funny. There was hardly even a joke there. Yeah, Eric, you know you had to do it to him. <laughs> yeah, that actually is funny. <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway, the summary. Oh, God. oh, God. Okay, let me try this, all right? And forewarning for the listeners, there will be spoilers. Spoil yours. <laughs> Okay, count me off whenever you're ready. All right, three, two, one. Okay, so the first 45 minutes of this movie is Tom Cruise staring at his love interest like a python stares at a dead deer. Um, <laughs> then he gets into a car crash and puts on a Rocky Dennis face. And then the movie turns out to be um, the song Higher by Creed. <laughs> is that good? Should I go into more or... I, go, I go think into a little functional more summary, but please, please say <laughs> some mean, more. I mean, I saw the movie, and I don't really know what you what that meant. <laughs> um, at one point, Tom Cruise puts on the Undertaker's mask. <laughs> you know, the one he had when he had like a, a broken nose, and he had like the the Phantom of the Opera mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my, I uh, I compared it in my notes to uh, the Michael Myers mask from Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. But then I realized it's a painfully obvious reference to Eyes Without a Face. Yes, that is. I have a note in here that says this. I wasn't expecting this Jerry Maguire looking movie to be the shittiest remake of Eyes Without a Face. But that's just how it be sometimes on this bitch of an earth. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know anything about movies or art or culture at all. I was excited about Freewheeling Bob Dylan because that's the only reference to anything that I pointed out. <laughs> I was like, I I, I I, I don't know. I don't understand what anything is. Oh, oh here's the Orson Welles part. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, a good summary of this movie is, uh, go to 2001, find someone holding an Interpol record, uh, just put like a maple syrup tap into their brain, and just see what comes out. That That is the entirety of this movie. Yeah. Get, just get stoned and watch the following movies as a triple feature. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Eyes Wide Shut, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. <laughs> just let those all mix. To, no, scratch that last one. Make it uh, either Underdog or Alvin and the Chipmunks. And just mix those up in your mind. And what will result is this movie. You should just get, like, three, like, wheel in three, like, box TVs and just pop in the VHSs for all three of them. Well, like, free wheel in three TVs. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, that thing, that one uh, video Red Letter Media did where they watched all three Transformers movies simultaneously. Oh, my God. There's four. Well, at the time, there were only three. Mm. I don't think I don't think Red Letter Media ever did anything that was as good as the video where they just watched all of the Resident Evil movies <laughs> one after the other. <laughs> like that is the height of their like output. Oh, <laughs> I think 
personally, this movie would be a lot, uh, a lot better if the Monet picture that he's looking at when he makes the vanilla sky remark, if he was actually looking at a JMW Turner painting. <laughs> oh my god. I literally, I got upset, so she soothed me. I just uh, went to a Google image search for Timothy Spall, so I'm just looking looking at that. And two of the things are from Mr. Turner, so that's just what's on my mind. Nice. I love Timothy Spall. Uh, before we get to Timothy Spall, however, let's go on to our spalling moments and spall wonders. Uh, Shane, would you like to start us off with one? Uh, yeah, sure. What should I start with? Uh, it's like the Sushi Buffet to Mountain Goats show, Oceanographer's Choice. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> All right, guys, I had a lot of fun tonight, but unfortunately I have to go. Uh, yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, my roommate just called. He said that, you know, he ate some peanuts, so now i got to take him to the hospital, so, like, get out of here. And at the same time, on my other phone, this is an audio medium, so you can't see that I have both of my hands in the... Uh, thumb and pinky out position like it's a phone while my actual phone is on my lap uh but i'm getting a call on my other phone that's letting me know uh that i don't want to be here so i gotta leave so that was that was me calling me oh my god all right so yeah a friend of mine to avoid talking to turning point usa who are tabling and trying to get to him he pretended to get a call with the screen of his phone facing outward <laughs> It's so stupid. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my god. Yeah. We me and all my friends just see how we can uh clown on turning point and show that we clearly do not respect them. It's a lot of fun. Uh but on to Timothy Spall. Alright, so Shane, I think we might want to start off with a, a spalling moment so that we can yeah, end yeah. with the spall wonder and maintain some degree of positivity going into the discussion. Okay, so I'll start with a spalling moment. Um, any time that Tom Cruise kisses someone is the worst thing I've ever seen with mine own two eyes. Oh, God, Tom Cruise. Like we, like we mentioned in the last Samurai episode, he's a god-awful romantic lead. He, he seems, oh, yeah, he's horrible. He seems unable to project the emotion of human love. He is unable to look <laughs> like he's feeling an affection, an affectionate feeling for another human being. He just seems like terrified and contemptuous uh my first note that i wrote for this movie is has tom cruise ever once played a believable human being with feelings <laughs> and emotions uh he did in magnolia except the emotions he felt there were rage and self-hatred <laughs> okay tom just uh just a little bit of emotion practice here just can you give us uh you know happy or you know okay that looks like panic um, can you give us? Can you give us uh, caring? Give us a little, a little bit of tenderness there. That's murder. Is the look that we're getting there. So let's uh, walk this one back. That's me being a cascade. I, no, 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 Tom, Tom. The line is, "I love you," not "Feed me a stray cat." You've got to get this right, Tom. <laughs> oh my God, he's just it's something about his his teeth look angry. <laughs> They, he no, looks yeah, like his his teeth are like offset. Woo woo woo. Hey, uh, this is a really dumb joke that I thought oh. about at work at Chipotle. Uh, what do you make? Uh, what do you make uh, guacamigos out of? What? Guavocado. 
yeah, his teeth are like shifted oh. over a little bit, so he has a tooth in the direct center of his face. <laughs> Whenever he's like making out with like Penelope Cruz, it just it, it looks like a demented Kirby trying to suck in an enemy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of scenes, especially at the beginning, where like he's not even kissing. There's just kissing happening at him, and he's like approximating something, or sometimes he just sort of stands there. I honestly think he just, his robot mind just kind of shuts off for a second. <laughs> like, that wasn't even supposed to be what the shot was, but Cameron Crowe's just like, alright, just keep it. Uh, him him wearing that blank Michael Myers mask is honestly less disturbing than when he's trying to emote with his human face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because... not even his messed up post-car accident face. Which honestly isn't even all that messed up. Like, no. he, he seems just like He's got some scarring on the side of his face, and his uh, his his, vo- his voice is sort of slurred. But like, he looks less messed up than people I know who have been in actual car accidents. Mm. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to bum everybody out. My bad. <laughs> oh, let's get back to fucking jokes. Hey, Cameron Cruz, uh, Cameron Crowe, doesn't he look like uh, I don't know a fam? I don't know. <laughs> Looks like uh looks like uh uh uh, 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 uh mm, looks like the dude at the coffee shop who tries to talk to you about fucking you know Derrida. <laughs> he, he looks like a, a melting wax figure of Mark Cuban is my favorite <laughs> of the riffs we did before the show started. Cameron Crowe looks like he owns a copy of Infinite Jest but hasn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron Crowe looks like Snape's stunt double. Oh my god. But, uh, anyway, Eric, would you like to give us your spalling moment? Cameron Crowe looks like the alternate universe where instead of a director, Edgar Wright just became, like, bassist for a jam band. (laughs) Slash an accountant. Yeah, so my spalling moment, this was pretty early on, uh, you know, Tom Cruise plays a rich playboy who is uh, the head of a publishing company and on a side note in 2018 america it's hilarious to see how important publishing is (laughs) to these people he publishes a magazine like a print magazine like on paper Um, um I was wondering, what kind of magazine is this? Because it looked like Maxim. Yeah, that was what I was thinking from the the covers he was shown. So, like, this guy, he's, like, the publisher of basically, like, one of those British spank mags, like FHM or something like that. Mm -hmm. I would assume he has, you know, the publishing company has multiple magazines. uh, Because he's also publishing uh, Jason Lee's book. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah. But he's having a party because he's a playboy, and that's what he—that's what you do when you're the rich playboy in the beginning of a romantic comedy, where you learn, you know, to be humble, and you know, you fall in love with your secretary or whatever. He learns to be um, humble and sit down. Sit down. <laughs> oh my! It's like Ray Poupon, that Evian, that Spall talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not the first time I've made that joke on this show, but uh, so he's having this party. And uh, someone says something about the, uh, he's like, yeah, put on Coltrane. He's like, yeah, the 3D speaker is working well. And first I was like, well, all speakers are pretty much 3D. It'd be really impressive to have a 2D speaker, (laughs) you know, whatever. And essentially by 3D speaker, there's no 
polite way. There's no way to beat around the bush and say this. It's a hologram of John Coltrane. <laughs> you just oh. cut. You just cut to John Coltrane blew around the edges like he's, you know, delivering a message to Luke Skywalker. <laughs> And he's just there with his clarinet playing my favorite things. And then it cuts out to a fuller shot, and it's a full-body shot of hologram John Coltrane. And people are just standing around him like he's a party guest. Like, he's not on a stage. People aren't even looking at him. He's just there. And it felt rude, even though he doesn't exist, and it's just a video. (laughs) But I was like, you're being so rude to... One of the greatest jazz musicians of all time. That's that's one small step for man. One small giant step. steps for mankind. <laughs> <laughs> I took a history of jazz class, so I get that joke. Uh, <laughs> but when this happened, I leapt out of out of bed to find a uh, a writing pad, and I wrote hologram Coltrane in big letters and put a big box around it. And that's only one of like two notes that I made about this whole movie. I'm very excited for Hologram Coltrane to appear on the Super Bowl halftime show with Justin Timberlake. <laughs> oh my god. What if it was Hologram Coltrane, the cat that Lisa Simpson has for 20 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> oh. is, that, is that the one where all the cats keep dying and then at the end uh, Principal St- Skinner walks by and she's like, hey Mr. Tamzarian, after he's like, you know why? Why? Why are you? Why are you just naming that cat Snowball too? When there have been all these other snowballs that have died. Mm, that's fair. That is that is the episode in question. Yeah, she brings home the cat and he's like, "Oh, you Coltrane? I'll play you some music for from your namesake, namesake." And then she plays, I think, Blue Train for like seconds, and the cat jumps out the window. <laughs> wow. I, I think I think you're whistling the, the Harlem Globetrotters theme song. <laughs> okay. It'd be great if the whole podcast was just us whistling jazz songs we like. <laughs> uh, moving on to... <laughs> that was a good one. That was Take 5 by Dave Brubeck, for those of you who'd like to give it a listen. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to add, this is a jump ahead to the end of the show, but I am going to add an additional wreck, which is just jazz. <laughs> listen to some jazz. <laughs> All right, so... You don't listen to smooth jazz. Smooth jazz is the worst kind of jazz. So, my my falling moment. Uh, in the beginning scene of the movie, there's this is one scene where Tom Cruise wakes up, he goes out to his car, he drives through the streets of New York, and then realizes there's nobody there. It's a very I am I am legend sort of thing. Then, uh, sorry, <laughs> then he burps, and then he wakes up. He's back in his bed, and Cameron Diaz is there. And uh, during this this introductory scene where he's talking to Cameron Diaz about how they had sex four times last night, uh, her phone goes off, and it's uh, it's row 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 your boat, which uh, I didn't quite get how on the nose that was until the end of the movie, but. Oh my god. It was that was painful, yeah. It it's such it's such an easy tell. Like how how do we how do we let the audience know this movie's about dreams? And furthermore, that, that it's all a dream. It it's all a dream in the end. How about how about we play the song that everyone knows that says life is but a dream 
It was all a dream. A I used to read Word Up magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Feel much better movie if they played that instead. Uh, that that would make a good ringtone. Uh, but yeah, in in a movie full of annoying musical moments, that was one of the most aggravating. Yeah, I was like, whose ringtone sounds like this? And then she took out her phone, and I was like, oh, it's 2001. <laughs> I forgot that. I forgot that MIDI ringtones were, like, a thing. And what do you think her, what do you think her playback theme was? <laughs> I, I'm assuming uh, Axel F., the Beverly Hills Cop theme. <laughs> <laughs> and if she had survived until the mid-2000s, she would have gone with the uh, Crazy Frog version. Oh, oh my God. This movie would have been great if Crazy Frog was in it. <laughs> oh no, if Jason Lee was just replaced by the Crazy Frog. <laughs> if Crazy Frog was the uh, was the girl who crashed the car off of the bridge. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> by the way, it is it is incredibly weird that Crazy Frog's character design has a dick. Yeah, yeah, his dick is just out just, there. He's got a got a little weenus right there. Yep. I don't know what the hell. It's just such an odd choice for <laughs> for this fucking frog in goggles and a vest to have just a dick. I think Crazy Frog could probably do a better portrayal of like human love than Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> if this movie was was Crazy Frog and instead of the mask, he just had an even larger pair of glasses. <laughs> He's like, take off that mask, let me see your face. He's like, I don't want to take off the mask. And then he kicks a chair. Show me the true crazy frog. I mean the real crazy frog. Perfection. Perfection. It's um, a little thing we should clear up for listeners. This movie sort of jumps back and forth between, uh, you know, the narrative of what's happening um, in the past leading up to what is a dream, what isn't a dream. And uh, a future where Tom Cruise is in a mental institution that is lit like um, Demolition Man. Uh, or, better yet, the uh, warehouse where he goes to dance in Footloose. Uh, <laughs> that's the mental institution he's in. And that, uh, you know, dad-looking guy who he's talking to, whose name I can't remember. McCabe. Uh, yeah, McCabe. Who's, who's, who's the actor? Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt, really? And and I just realized that he's probably called McCabe because Cameron Crowe really likes Robert Altman movies. No, she uh, really likes that one Dr. Seuss poem. Uh, do you ever hear the story of Mrs. McCabe who had 23 <laughs> sons and she named them all Dave? <laughs> and you see that wasn't a very smart thing to do because when she needs one and she calls out, Yoo-hoo, come here, Dave, she doesn't get one. All 23 Daves come on the run. I don't know the rest by memory, but it's pretty good. I admire our father's restraint because that uh, that poem was called Too Many Daves, and our dad's name is Dave. And we read that all the time when I was a kid, and I don't remember him even once saying, Too Many Daves? No such thing. Which I would have done every time. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so yeah, yeah there is jumping this... back and forth to the future where he's being interviewed by a psychologist because he murdered somebody or didn't murder somebody. Who knows? Yeah, I, yeah. I know, because I watched the movie. 
it's it's very it's 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 very I I watched I I watched a, a a movie recently that tried to do this. Let me see if I can do it. Oh shit shit shit! This is bad. Um <laughs> um I it, pl- play some spiritualized. They'll love that. They'll, they'll love that. Spiritual eyes, spiritual eyes, spiritual eyes. <laughs> that one works way better in print. Use your imagination. Oh. That took a couple of years off my life. <laughs> oh, well, let, let's put a couple of years back on your life, Shane, with the uh, small wonder. What 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 good things did you find to like in this movie? Oh boy, isn't that the isn't that the million dollar question? What good things came from this movie? Um, I would say Michael Shannon. I was very, very happy to see my baby boy Michael Shannon for like three minutes. Yeah, he plays the the guard in the prison where Tom Cruise is being held, and they have a little antagonistic relationship where Michael Shannon calls him face because you know <laughs> he's got a fucked up face. Oh my god, I forgot that he just calls him face at one point. I just call people face if they have faces. Mm. I got a lot of friends called face. The only people <laughs> I call face are Dirk Benedict and I want to say Bradley Cooper, except maybe he didn't play face. Maybe that was Charlotte Copley. Who the fuck is face? What are you talking about? Uh, the A-Team? Face <clears throat> Man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, fun fact. This is the first time somebody's talked about the new A-Team movie. Like, oh, since, since it came out. The A-Team movie is actually really good. Oh, no, it is good. It's just no one gives a shit. Yeah. My favorite thing about the A-Team, which I watched a few episodes of when I was in high school, is that in the first episode, and they put it in the intro of every episode and, like, the sequence, there's a scene where, uh, what's the main guy? Hawkeye? Or Hannibal. Hannibal is in a bar, and he's like, hey, you know, we've got some questions here. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And they're like, ah, you're one of those A-team types. We're going to kick the shit out of you. And there's just saloon doors, and they put a board over where the saloon doors are, and they're like, get ready to get your ass kicked. And Mr. T pulls the saloon doors out, and simultaneously the board explodes inward, <laughs> which does He's just that strong that he pulled something outward with such force that I don't, I'm not, I didn't take enough physics to know the exact process of what happened. The power but, of that pull created a small black hole. In the yeah. Board. You know, I always, small, there, I always thought there was a, a really, black hole. <laughs> I always thought there was a really missed opportunity for them not to make like a Muppets, ba- a Muppet Babies version of the A-Team called the A-Teens. <laughs> And it's just them, like, solving mysteries at the mall. Oh. <laughs> I, I've only seen a few episodes of the A-Team, but my favorite one is the one where Culture Club shows up. Uh, because, you know, Face, he, he's a music booker on the side, and he booked Cowboy George to play this, this uh, Arkansas mining town or something or other. But instead, he got Boy George and Culture Club. And, and a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Cow, Boy George, uh, sugar, and free donuts. And and then someone uses the uh, Boy George performance as a sort of uh, distraction from them stealing all the paychecks from the mining town. And so they lock up the A team because they assume they're complicit in it. Because 
you know, they were new in town. And so they have to break out of prison and they, they stop the person who embezzled all the, all the money with the help of boy George. And then there's a little bit where the, the bad guy asks, who are you? And boy George says, I'm boy George, member of the A team. And it's amazing. And then it ends with a, a, a musical number where they play Karma Chameleon and all these roughneck shit kickers in this country bar are just super into it. And I, that, that's a pretty cool bit. I, I have seen exactly zero episodes of the A-Team, but my favorite episode is the John Cena music video for Bad Bad Man. Oh, God, that's <laughs> such a great music video. That is one of the greatest music videos ever made. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eric, have you seen the video for Bad Bad Man by John Cena? I did not know he made music. Oh, well, he, he raps his own theme song, but he also released... No! <laughs> He also, I don't want that to be a thing. I don't want that to be real. He also released an album called it's You a Can't great, See Me. It's actually not the worst album. Certainly not the worst wrestling-related rap album. No, no. no. It's not even in the top five. Yeah. I, be a Man would have to be on there. Yeah, Randy Savage has released, like, three of the albums in the top five worst <laughs> wrestling-related rap albums. But yeah, the video for Bad Bad Man is an episode of The Chain Gang, which is John Cena as Hannibal, uh, his cousin The Trademark as Face, and uh, B.A. Bumpy Knuckles as Baracus. And they are hired by Gary Coleman <laughs> to find out who's <laughs> trying to kill the 80s. It's um, it's a hell of a thing that really left a very strong mark on me when I was like 11. Oh, and it's actually like a really good song. It is that that song, um, the, how the kids call it, it slaps. <laughs> it, it really it, whips the llama's ass. It rips groat, as the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But um, <laughs> your small wonder, Shane. Yes, my small Michael wonder Shane. is Michael Shane. Oh, Shannon. right. Yes, yes. So, Eric, what's your small yeah, wonder? What, you know, a lot of times when I'm watching a movie for small, clear very early on that I'm not going to like this movie. So I do this thing where I try to latch on to the very first thing that gives me joy, and I pop that down because then I don't have to try to enjoy the rest of the movie. I can just let it happen. And not worry about finding something to enjoy. So mine is also in the party scene. Um, you know, so essentially, rich kid, uh, asshole, paint him as a villain, uh, fucking Tom Cruise, has this girl who he has sort of a thing with. They're not dating, but, you know, they're having sex. So they got that thing going on. And they're, you know, he wakes up with her, they hang out for a bit. He goes to a party, or he hosts a party and doesn't invite her. She shows up anyway uh, and sort of stalks him for the whole night. He pointedly does not hang out with her. He hangs out with, uh, you know, Penelope Cruz instead. Uh, and so she's very sad because she wanted to hang out with him. And there's a scene right at the end of the party where she is dancing, question mark? with a waiter uh essentially she's just sort of hanging on to him 
and he is standing holding a martini tray and just sort of <laughs> swaying a little bit. His face is not even on screen. He does not react to this at all. He's like a palace guard. <laughs> but he's just he's just he'll sway with her for a little bit and I thought that was funny. It brought me a little bit of joy. Yeah. That is yeah, that's one of the lone actually well done comedy bits in this movie. Yeah, it's 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 a fantastic shot, obviously. Yeah. Uh, my small wonder, it's, it's at the end of the movie, once it's been revealed that Tom Cruise killed Penelope Cruz because he thought she was Cameron Diaz, uh, who died in a car crash, but he, he's hallucinating now. Uh, once that's revealed, uh, there's Yeah, this... to fill in a little bit more. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna fill in a little bit more. Penelope Cruz is, you know... Pick, after he's hanging out at Cameron Diaz's for a while, he goes to drive to work, and Penelope Cruz pulls up and was like, hey, I was uh, stalking you a little bit. Want to go make it up to me for not, you know, going to the going to the party? And so they get in the car, and they're driving, and she's like, yeah, it's really kind of shitty how you're treating me. I'm in love with you, and you're not, you know, you're treating me like a friend. You're having sex with me and going out with other people, and it's horrible, and I hate it. And he's like, what? <laughs> and she just keeps driving faster and faster and not looking at the road and, you know, looking out. And she's swerving into other lanes and off the road, and he's freaking out. And then she drives off of a bridge. Um, and it's not like a big bridge. It's not into a river. It's just a small overpass bridge. And so she immediately crashes into a, um, into the ground. And then she dies. He is disfigured. His face is messed up and his arm doesn't work as well. And so he's dealing with that throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. So after that bit is resolved, there's still a question of why was he calling out for Ellie in his sleep? Who's Ellie? Who's Ellie? And all through the movie, there's been these little things on TV about this dog that got frozen and revived and this old uh, fucking Peter Keel motherfucker trying to uh, do a <laughs> life extension thing. And he finally figures out, oh, L-E, life extension. So he goes to the uh... life, he, he gets, he gets Kurt Russell to take him to the life extension clinic where they listen to where where they, you know, go in and listen to a sales pitch from Tilda Swinton, who shows up out of nowhere and is giving it everything. She is, she's trying so hard to make this sales pitch an actually engaging scene, and it comes so close to working. Yeah, she tried, like, so hard and got so far, but in the end, it really didn't matter. <laughs> oh... 60,000 plays. <laughs> it's a good song. It, um, songs. Yeah, there's a lot of actors in this movie who try their goddamnedest to make it work, and it just doesn't. I would like this movie a little bit better if every song was just Linkin Park in the end. <laughs> <laughs> If the oh. soundtrack was just hybrid theory. I'm getting a call. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh, Tom Cruise, he's, he's just feeling like a freak on a leash there. Oh. Uh, no. Not night, boy. Something's there, 
<laughs> but but yes, it's it's in the sales pitch for the freeze yourself and get unfrozen whenever oh, things are better. Oh, you to level, get it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss a chance. That's when freeze yourself, fam. <laughs> Ah, oh, it's a twist. He he's in an awfully cold coffee pot because it turns <laughs> out he died, and this is his lucid dream, which is is it's the specialty package he ordered, and this has all been inside of his dream, like Twin Peaks season three, except shitty. <laughs> he runs away. Uh, wait, is that Twin Peaks: The Return then? Yeah, season three. Fuck! I didn't watch that yet. Oh shit! I'm sorry. Oh boy. Can you edit that out of my memory? <laughs> Jesus. I, anyway. Oh, yeah, God. Anyway, he runs out of the office. I mean, it doesn't even fucking matter anymore, but... It'd be, it'd be really funny if this is just the dissolu- like the dissolution of your relationship together, <laughs> and I'm here to witness it. He runs out of the office, and then he runs to, I guess, like a parking garage underneath it, and in one of the most ridiculous scenes in the movie, he just screams... Tax-apart! Oh, oh my god. I have a note. Tax-apart! Again I, and again, until this dude just was like, hey! I have a note. Roy from the IT crowd, he's wiping cheetah dust on his shirt. <laughs> I have a note that says that he screams tech-support. It reminded me very much of Kanada from Akira just screaming, <laughs> Tetsuo! <laughs> Naruto! <laughs> Have you tried turning your dream off and on again? Oh, well, are you sure it's plugged in? You're dead, mate. <laughs> now, I've got this box with a red light on it. That's your body. <laughs> oh no, I dropped your dream on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that at work uh, today. Because, like, that, that episode makes me mad because the A-plot is the best in the entire show. And the B-plot is a horrible transphobic mess. Oh, God, I don't remember that bit. I, good. You shouldn't remember it. I, 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 I will try not to revisit that episode then. It's a shame because, like, the A-plot is still so goddamn good. I do not know what show you guys are talking about. The idea the crowd. crowd. There's oh, a, there's a, okay, yeah. They're right. trying to, for those of you listening who may not have watched it, uh, they're trying to trick their boss, Jen, into doing something stupid and embarrassing herself when she's giving a presentation. So they're trying to think of, like, what's the dumbest thing they can get her to say that she'll probably believe? And they come up with something, and they have this little black box with a blinking red light on the top. And they're like, this, Jen, is the internet. Oh, my it's God. like, that's the internet. And then Roy comes in and is like, Moss, what is Jen doing with the internet? Do the elders of the internet know that this is here? And Jen's like, the elders of the internet. The elders of the internet know who I am? Yeah, she buys it. And so she gives the presentation, and they're sitting in the back, you know, getting ready for everybody to laugh at her. And then everyone in the audience also buys it. God, I remember I remember that episode so fondly, and now I never want to watch it again. <laughs> Just because I'm afraid of the terrible B-plot. The B-plot is their boss uh, dates a trans woman. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, God. Oh, no. I, I can imagine like how that plays out, even though I haven't seen that episode in like a decade. Yeah, it 
not well. <sighs> so, let's move on to something better. Timothy Spall. Timothy Spall oh. in this movie, he he plays yeah, uh he plays Tip, Theodore Tip or something like that, and he's a delight. He's just a delight in every scene he's in, which is a, a small amount, but he Spawn up. He is fantastic in every one of them. He is really great in the 90 seconds he's in this movie. Like, those are the best 90 seconds of the whole movie. Oh, like, in in his first big scene, talking to Tom Cruise, he, he has the line reading, They've got a nickname for you, Citizen Dildo. And that's, <laughs> the way he <laughs> says that, even... the way he says that is just so perfect. Yeah, and, and then Tom Cruise says it later, when Penelope Cruise is like, Oh, do you have any nicknames? And he's like, oh, Citizen Dildo. And she's like, uh, you are not staying tonight. Oh, is, was she Russian? I'm not great with accents. And okay, neither yeah, is yeah. Tom Cruise. I think I was trying to imitate how Tom Cruise imitates her in the uh, the bar scene, where where he's recreating their first yeah. conversation. Yeah, they they meet... And then, you know, they have this little conversation, and then he goes back to her place, and they talk about some stuff. And then the next morning, he gets in a car crash. And then a while after that, after he's recovered-ish, he goes to a club with them, with uh, with Jason Lee, and uh, who I keep almost calling Jason Earl. Uh, <laughs> Jason Lee and, you know, Penelope Cruz, and they're hanging out, and he is being weird, and you know, making everyone super uncomfortable. And then he comes back without the mask on because he was wearing this horrifying mask. And he comes back and he's like, hey, let's take it back to the beginning. And then he just, for, by himself for a while, recreates their first conversation. And, you know, yeah, like you said, he's really bad at accents. So he's like, you know, I have a stalker. You know, age, uh, you don't look too menacing, age. I'm freaking Penelope Cruz. He's like, I don't sound like that. He's like, eeeeh. Oh, Faith and Megara, she's the saddest girl to ever hold a martini. <laughs> I so have she a is. Note. Oh. <laughs> I, I have a note that says, I was clutching a phantom can of mace that entire scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they've got a nickname for you. They call you Citizen Dildo, so they do. <laughs> Jumping back a little bit to um the journey which we talked about last episode. This is something that was sort of, I thought about that late, so it didn't get into the episode, but that was sort of Timothy Spall returning to his roots because Spall sort of gets typecast as like this sniveling henchman to a much more dangerous and threatening villain, which pretty much is the relationship between the DUP and Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I thought you meant uh, returning to his roots as a projectionist. <laughs> uh, that's good. Classic Quadrophenia reference. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, Timothy Spall, he, he is tied up in this sort of corporate intrigue subplot where Tom Cruise is worried that the Seven Dwarves are going to try to take control of his company. The Seven Dwarves are the board of directors. For yeah, yeah. I and this subplot goes absolutely nowhere and does nothing. For as much as they mention it, it just is nothing. It's nothing. Like it only matters in literally the time he takes to say the seven dwarves. The second he's done saying it, it does not matter to the movie at all anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and like throughout the entire movie, you've got these three sort of of uh, congruent plots. You've got him in the future uh, on trial for uh, uh, on suspicion for murder. You've got him doing a romantic comedy subplot, and you've got him mm-hmm. doing a corporate intrigue thing. And none of them have any sort of forward momentum to them, yeah. which is what makes the movie feel like surfing through molasses. The corporate intrigue would have made sense if this were a romantic comedy, and that could be like, you know... Because there's a whole scene where he's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to start being a, a, a good, you know, head of this publishing company now, just like my dad. And then that's completely abandoned. But if that's the sort of plot that would have developed if it were a romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah. And you've got the romantic comedy plot that becomes, I just got disfigured and I've got to learn to live with it, which also doesn't really have any forward momentum. Like, there's, there's never the sense that it's heading towards anything, even this, this murder plot. They, they just sort of, they just sort of sit where they are until it's decided, okay, now we're gonna have the event that switches us into the science fiction portion of the movie. Yeah, there's kind of, there's never a moment in the movie that really kind of justifies its existence. Cause it's like, it feels like it's trying to say so many things, but not actually. Yeah, and like there are there are a lot of movies that do the sort of cross genre blending thing, except those take the time to actually blend the genres, whereas this one just has a, a it's like a party platter. You've got everything sort of sectioned party off. Party platter. You've got everything sort of sectioned off in its in its little space, and it's, none it's, of it really fits together. It's just the most bullshit crudité ever. <laughs> It's. I feel like Cameron Crowe wanted to like remake a few movies, and it was like, I want to remake When Harry Met Sally, and I also want to remake Phantom of the Opera, and I also want to remake Twelve like, Monkeys. Twelve Monkeys. He was like, ah, you know, I only have the budget for one movie, so I'll mix all those together and sprinkle in the Matrix a little bit. And, well, this is all credited. That's how you make a shit stew. This is also credited as a remake of a Spanish film called Open Your Eyes, which I don't think any of us have seen, so we don't have any context for whether this is a faithful adaptation or not. Well, they say open your eyes a fuckload of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is, wow. The first words of the movie are open your eyes, and then the second words are also open your eyes. <laughs> You hear open your eyes like ten times before anybody says anything else. Yeah. At yeah. the beginning, the girl who goes on to drive off the bridge and kill him, kill herself and disfigure him, you know, that happens and he's like, hey, and don't, you know, write messages onto my alarm clock anymore. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, what what the fuck? Since when? Since when is that a thing people do? <laughs> the wildest part is like, hmm, you know, it's really gonna wake me up in the morning. Someone whispering, <laughs> open your eyes. <laughs> my my alarm tone is blind by talking heads, and it's extremely loud, and that's the only way I can wake up. <laughs> my my alarm clock literally thing. the opposite of open your eyes because it would be pointless to open your eyes. Uh, my alarm tone is a clip from. Uh, the F plus that's just ah get out of bed get out of bed you're under psychic attack <laughs> Jesus it makes more sense in context which is 
a reading from a weird paranormal message board by this crazy person who woke up her son because she believed he was under psychic attack. My ring, my alarm tone used to be um, James Brown, get on up from, nice. uh, from the sun. Yeah. <laughs> you tell me to get up, and then I would get up, and then it would be like, stay on the scene. And I'm like, sure. And there's like like a sex machine. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I might disappoint you there. <laughs> <laughs> like a podcast machine. That's me. Uh, we, we've it. already talked about uh, Tom Cruise's complete lack of romantic energy in the romantic comedy bits. But if we talked mm-hmm. about how Penelope Cruz is really doing her best to actually inject some sort of human emotion into these moments, because like in, in there are scenes where like they're in bed together and they're having a conversation and Penelope Cruz is really trying to make you believe she feels some sort of emotion for this gaping maw before her. <laughs> I, um, when I had a, an acting class in college, we did this experiment where my professor brought in a coat rack and he told us, act off the coat rack, try to make it as convincing as possible. You have to make us believe that that coat rack is a human being. Not that is name, Fred Astaire. <laughs> <laughs> this is literally exactly that for Penelope Cruz. she does a good job oh she does great she does really great but it just he is a black hole of like just emotion and feeling yeah yeah it was a really bad decision for Cameron Crowe to write Tom Cruise's (laughs) it was a really bad idea for Cameron Crowe to write full stop but more specifically it was a bad idea for him to write Tom Cruise's entire character as an amalgamation of just cultural products he enjoys like his entire thing is oh i've got a guitar in my house because i like music i've got a fucking 10 foot tall poster for uh, francois truffaut's jules et jim so you know that i like movies and i like romance and like see this is why we're cutting as quickly and as uh, jarringly as we are it's we're trying to do the nouvelle vague thing and honestly, I, the editing is much better than the script deserves because the way that, like, I, when, when things pop into sequences that are supposed to be, you know, jarring and completely just destroy your perception of, you know, what is real right now, it kind of works, except for the fact that it's married to the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is just... This is just the wrong thing for Tom Cruise to be doing. This is not his strengths at all. It's it's like Ready Player One for people who pay attention to the village voice Pazm Jot Pole. (laughs) Oh my god. The whole thing about this movie is that Tom Cruise is essentially doing a bad Jim Carrey impression. (laughs) This is a deconstruction remake of The Mask. (laughs) It's like, in terms of tone... It's like if in the movie The Cable Guy, Jim Carrey was given the script for Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. Mm-hmm. Man, you guys thought that was way funnier, like, <laughs> pretty sure discussion. So maybe edit in those laughs that you had, because now I just look like an asshole. <laughs> this is why I don't like to have, this is why I don't like to talk that much in the pre-show discussion, because I, laugh, I use up all my good <laughs> jokes, and then I say them on the show, and you go, hmm. 
<laughs> we had so much good banter before the podcast, and I've been afraid to bring up any of the jokes. Like, I had a really good Control-Alt-Delete joke about Cameron Crowe that I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to bring up again. Please, I, please bring it up again. We, we can always is... rip on Cameron Crowe. <laughs> yeah, Cameron Crowe looks like Ethan from Control-Alt-Delete, and I really wish that this movie was just an adaptation of Lost. <laughs> well, it is an adaptation of Lost with Tom Cruise as Lila. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's essentially just like like a, a, a William S. Burroughs cut and paste of Lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... In the pre-show discussion, I actually wrote up a little paragraph of what this movie would be like if it was Ready Player One. And I'd just like to do a little Ooh. dramatic reading for oh, you geez. in the tradition of our podcast, Ripping Off, I Don't Even Own a Television. Oh, Lord. I walked into my fabulous New York apartment, pausing to admire the classic cherry red SG I had in a display case. As I retired to the, ba- to the bedroom, I paused to check out the massive poster for Jules et Jim on my bedroom wall. It was a classic, Truffaut's masterpiece. I thought about turning on my hologram John Coltrane for some music, but decided on spiritualized instead. Ladies and gentlemen, I was floating in space. Ooh. I, I feel like the Frasier theme should immediately start after that. <laughs> oh, this is Frasier for people who like the movie Coffee and Cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> There are some good that was segments the most in that movie. Joke I've ever made and am ever likely to make on this show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I I will defend the the bit with the Wu Tang Clan and Bill Murray. I I think that was a good scene. That was pretty good. I watched half of Coffee and Cigarettes in my freshman year of college when I went through my period of rediscovering that I love Stephen Wright. Um, my favorite scene from Coffee and Cigarettes is the one with Iggy Pop and Tom Waits. That's a good one, too. I don't, is, is that movie bad? I haven't watched it since I was a freshman in college. I Same. <laughs> as is the case with fun. every sort of sketch movie, it it's very hit and miss. Like the bit where uh, Jack White talks about his Tesla coil is something I never need to see again. Uh, yeah, that I, I feel like there was no joke there. Coffee, fee, and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my. Mm. I, I have to say, we, we have to talk about Jason Lee's performance in this. It is, it's weirdly terrible. Oh, it sucks. It's horrible. That's, I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that it's not worse or better than any other Jason Lee movie performance. This is as the good whole, as his. The whole like, thing is like, it's a standard Jason Lee performance It that just doesn't belong in this movie. Like, yeah. that's the reason that this feels, like, large parts of this feel like a rom-com. Because you have the rom-com best friend who's like, bro, my dude, you're dating the girl that I really like, but it's cool because we're bros. That's almost verbatim from the movie. It, you know, you know what would have been great if Timothy Spall was in that role instead. Oh, oh yeah, God, I would love that. God, you know he could do it too. You know yeah. he could do that. <laughs> yeah, I. There are two ways you could go with that: just have him play both characters and not acknowledge it, or just like combine the characters. Yeah, yeah. Both would hey, be much better you, uh... than Jason Lee's awful delivery of 
Wait, what was that I'm not from Ohio joke? He's the line is he's like, Yeah, you're uh rich, this rich playboy millionaire who owns a publishing company. I'm, you know, just an asshole from Ohio. And I'm talking, he goes, You're not from Ohio. And there's not even a punchline. He's just like, yeah, well. And that comes up again with Kurt Russell saying it. I thought he was going to be like, yeah, well, you know, the character I'm writing in this book is from Ohio, so it's getting me or something. I thought there was going to be something there, but there's not. No, it just trails off. Yeah. If you've, it's, ever, it's... If you've ever read, uh, for example, um, White Noise by Don DeLillo and were like, you know, this would be better if uh, someone was just calling everybody bro. <laughs> I got just the movie for you. Oh, On a side note, just this is something that I've been wondering about. Like, I wasn't quite clear on this before the movie, and then during the movie, it didn't really clear it up either. So, Vanilla Sky, this has nothing to do with Chocolate Rain, right? <laughs> no, no, oh, I don't a, think it a, does. That's a good meme, brother. That is a good meme. All right, podcast over. I'm out of here. <laughs> It's the meme father, Eric. <laughs> oh. God, Eric, me and you should just, we should restart the meme loving dude cast, just me and you. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> I would just love to do a podcast where I think it's just me and you, and I just list off memes, and you just get more and more just, like, befuddled and, like, just harumph. For the last few weeks, I've been bugging everyone I know at Kent to start a podcast so we can have a lot of podcasts at Blackstar Radio, and I've been greenlighting almost every idea someone gives me, and so it hurts me to consider saying no to a podcast, but I, I don't want to fucking do that at all. <laughs> Greenlight all the podcasts. Small. Fuck off. What's your goddamn meme? What do you think Timothy Spall's favorite meme is? Oh. Let's think of this critically. What do you think it is? Okay, let me think on this a minute. Uh, I, I'm thinking it's a really old one, like I like th- a, the surprised hedgehog or whatever. Yes. I I think he sends, like, um, like he'll send an email to someone with just keyboard cat in it. <laughs> I, I, I bet he still uses impact font memes. Okay, here's my thought. Timothy Spall does not... He doesn't post memes at all. He barely ever sees them. But occasionally, on his desktop computer, he will he will see one that brings him a little bit of a chuckle, and then he will email it to a much younger relative, and then every time he sees them, <laughs> after a little bit of conversation, he'll ask them to bring up on their phone that... <laughs> That that photo that he likes, and then he'll, <laughs> he'll pull up a folder in the phone that's like Grandpa's memes, and just show them these, you know, these 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 simple memes, like the sort of stuff that a a, a grandparent might enjoy, but less racist than it's, his grandparents. Uh, I, I'm crying. I'm it, crying right now. It's Grandpa's meme barn. <laughs> I Google, I just Google search Timothy Spall memes, and these are great. Oh, ooh, ooh, let okay. me hit that. Okay, let me, uh, let me send you guys one. Oh, first off, I just learned like, re- like a couple of minutes ago, Timothy Spall's wife, his name's Shane. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. And his, and his son is in Hot Fuzz. He's one of the Andes. Really? And his grandson has a folder called Timothy Small Memes. <laughs> this is a great, this is a quality meme. And I feel like this should be the show, <laughs> the show image. <laughs> I, I, I often see, like, memes with a sort of uh, segment in the bottom with just text that vaguely relates to the image. And oh. I, I'd seen it when looking up uh, Turning Point USA memes to yeah. change them into being about being an adult baby. <laughs> <laughs> what this is, for the benefit of the listeners who are not looking at this meme, is it's a picture of Timothy Spall, and it says, Happy 60th birthday to Timothy Spall, the actor that portrayed Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter films. Underneath that, there is a white area, and in, you know, just sort of like a... I think that's Ariel. Not, yeah, I'm taking a closer look, and that is not, uh, no, that's not Ariel, that's Helvetica. Um, and in Helvetica, it says, Happy Birthday, Timothy Spall, exclamation point, Harry Potter, HP, J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling, Timothy Spall. And what this clearly is to me is a Tumblr post yeah. that has been mechanically made into a Facebook post, because all those things at the bottom should be tags. Yeah, and, like, that font in the... Yeah actual picture itself that that is the uh that's that, the like the tumblr gif set font yeah oh my god just one more just <laughs> <laughs> it's it's peter pet it's harry potter fuck it's timothy small as peter pettigrew it says happy birthday in a sort of like marker type of font and then it similarly it has white text with yep again helvetica it says Happy birthday, Timothy Spall! Exclamation point. Today is it's his 60th birthday. He played Pe- Peter Pettigrew, Harry Potter, H.P. Hogwarts, Death Eater, Timothy Spall, Peter Pettigrew, Gryffindor birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, since I brought Project it up, Swag Spring Break, Young and Reckless, Yellow Reckless, 2013. <laughs> since I brought it up, Shane, are you familiar with the uh, Kent State Turning Point Diaper Gazi? Uh, is that when, like, all the conservatives kind of, they put on diapers to own the libs? Yeah, it was That, it that was, was the beginning guy. of it. It was one guy. I've met him. He shook my hand. It felt like wet clay. It was strange. Ooh. Eric, you can hear all about it on Funkhouse Berlin. I was I just about to say. the episode link in there. I was just about to say, you can hear all about it on the, the episode of Funkhouse Berlin where they, they, they give out all the scoops. It's, if my, yeah, it's October 21st featuring Jacob Dickey and Matt Olinchek. I will pull that up for you, and okay. we'll also put it in the show notes. It is this a is saga. the second time I've linked to this this uh, this week. It's it's a saga. It's wild. I, I, I eagerly anticipate hearing about this. Okay, so um, we haven't really touched on the ending ending itself. Because we, we we're gonna have to do that because it's, bad and I don't want to. It's it's so bad. Okay, so we mentioned the tech support bit. Tech support shows up and it's this Nick Cave looking guy <laughs> with like a an ice cream suit. Uh, right on the outside. Right outside. I ice cream suit job. <laughs> and he just takes him up in an elevator while explaining like. An entirely different movie that happened in between two cuts. Just like yeah. an entire like half hour's worth of plot content. Yeah. It's just explained away. Oi mate, 
you're dead. It's like, what happened after I died? Everyone was sad. Your friends died too. Oh man, bummer. Yeah. That could have been the whole conversation. And and it's revealed, it's revealed that Kurt Russell, it's literally just him being like, I wish Atticus Finch was my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness he never read to go set a watchman. Oh my god. My least favorite part of the Before Watchmen series. <laughs> that's good. That's actually that's very good. It's a solid one. Like do you think one. do you think Tom Cruise's favorite meme is that painting of Gregory Peck holding <laughs> holding a forty? Gregory Peck holding a forty with cherubim that are Biggie and Tupac around him. I yes. I bet Tom Cruise has like a, a secret a, a super secret page of Scientology memes. Like if you hit a certain level, you you get the secret meme page. They're gonna be they're gonna be Scientology memes, but they're not they're not even about like going clear or anything like that. Like if you saw them, you wouldn't understand them. They're like the the air traffic controller memes or the asbestos removal memes. Like you yes. have to be like you to, in order to even understand what's going on. You would have to. I, oh, I thought you meant like you can't understand them. Like a uh, Joseph Smith couldn't read the uh, the golden plates without putting a rock up to his eye or whatever the Mormons believe. <laughs> Just seeing stone. The the angel Mormon handed him two gold tablets written entirely in emoji. <laughs> <laughs> like like once you fun go fact clear, about fun fact about the angel Mormon who's Carrie Fisher. Rest in peace. Oh, uh, I thought it was Emma Thompson. I don't know who that is. Uh, she played the angel in Angels in America. Uh, in second grade, we were like, we can all bring in movies if we want to watch them. They have to be PG or G, but preferably G. And someone brought in the PG movie Angels in the Alps field. And then we watched that, and then they said too many potty words, so we quit watching that. <laughs> I haven't seen Angels in America. That's my story. Thank you. Angels in America is, it's really good. It has nothing to do with Vanilla Sky, but... When the Angels in America... Uh, Al Pacino plays Roy Cohn. hoo Wait, isn't Roy Cohn one of Trump's lawyers? Uh, Roy Cohn was, like, Trump's mentor, is and Roy then Cohn... he died of AIDS. Oh, is, Roy, is Roy Cohn not the guy who founded McDonald's? That's Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc. Oh, okay. Uh, that's why people would go to McDonald's and be like, ah, what a crock of shit. Roy, and that's where the term came from. Roy Cohn was he a... He also invented the crocodile. Roy Cohn was a, a gay Republican lawyer who, who died of AIDS and was, like, super friends with Ronald Reagan. Super friends. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still losing it. Are you saying that he invented the crocodile? <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm composure. I got composure. I'm sorry. I okay. So <laughs> good joke, Broby. So before we go to our small ratings, I'd like to do a little game of a uh, pick your choice. Uh, what is your choice for the song in this movie that is most degraded by its inclusion in this movie? What what, what is the greatest? gap between the mm. quality of the song and the quality of the movie it's in. Uh, Let me just pull up the Vanilla Sky soundtrack. 
Yeah, because I recognize a lot of songs, and I I would love to. Yeah. But I I think I do have an answer. It's I it's gotta be good vibrations. Well, that's the thing. Good vibrations to me was already sullied by kind of being in Lost. Because <laughs> there's a there's a scene in Lost where he has to enter in a password in the keypad, and he's like, they're like, what's the password? And it's like, well, I don't know the password exactly. But you know, each key produces a different tone, and the person who set it up was a musician. He made it made it good vibrations, and so I was like, oh, dope. So the the password is gonna be the key beeps that make do 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 do. <laughs> but no, he enters it in, and it's you know Dominic Monaghan. He's like da 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 da. And I'm like, why would you make it that part of good vibrations? <laughs> Okay, so... You made it the verse of Good Vibration. Okay, so here's the track listing to Music from Vanilla Sky. Hit me. Number sky, one. Sky, baby. Dun, 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 dun. All the Right Friends by, Ra- by R.E.M. Two, Everything in Its Right Place by Radiohead. Three, Vanilla Sky by Paul McCartney. Four, Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel. Five, I Fall Apart by Juliana Gianni. Cameron Diaz's character in the movie. Six, Porpoise Song, parenthesis, theme from head, by The Monkees. Mondo 77, by Looper featuring Francis McDonald. Eight, Have You Forgotten, by Red House Painters. Nine, Directions, by Josh Rouse. Ten, Africa Shocks, with an X, by Left Field featuring Africa Bombada. Uh, eleven, Svefenglar, by Sigur Rós. Twelve, Last Goodbye by Jeff Buckley. Thirteen, Can We Still Be Friends by Todd Rundgren. Fourteen, Fourth Time Ooh. Around by Bob Dylan. Fifteen, Ooh. Elevator Beat by Nancy Wilson. Sixteen, Sweetness Follows. <laughs> Lo-fi anime beats, 24 <laughs> hours chill. <laughs> Sweetness Follows by R.E.M. Seventeen, Where Do I Begin by The Chemical Brothers. And under additional songs, From Rush Home With Love by Mint Royale. My Robot by Looper, My Favorite Things by John Coltrane, Keep On Pushin' by Curtis Mayfield, Wrecking Ball by Creeper Lagoon, Earth Time Tapestry by Spacecraft, Indra by Thievery Corporation, Loops of Fury by The Chemical Brothers, Rez by Underworld, Too Good to Be True by Two Sandwiches Short of a Lunchbox and Andrea Parker, One of Us by Joan Osborne, I Might Be Wrong by Radiohead, Wild Honey by U2, Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms, Western Union by Five Americans, Heaven by the Rolling Stones, Good Vibrations by the Beast Boys, Summer's End by Elmer Bernstein, The Healing Room by Sinead O'Connor, Njosnavelin, the Nothing Song. You get, you get, you get two more. I don't give a shit. They can't have this many goddamn songs. There are two more songs. Oh, nice. I'm great at this. Doot Doot by Freer. Fuck you. Ladies (laughs) and it's F-R-E-U-R, which Fleur. is a Welsh synth band. Wild. And okay. ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space by Spiritualized. Here is my thought process. Actually, you know what? You go first. I got a roommate on this a little bit more. I, it, it's such a hard choice because I'm thinking everything in its right place. Well, okay, that's the Radiohead one, Yeah. Right? This is the kind of movie someone who loudly enjoys Radiohead would make. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, like, that's, that's my first choice because, like... This is a very Radiohead as cultural signifier movie. 
Yeah, yeah. Because that's like the first song in the movie, and that's when it's still somewhat interesting. But I don't know. I'm I'm feeling some of these some of these tracks. Good vibrations is it is a is a good choice for worst song compared to the quality of the like the best song in the worst part of the movie. I no, I think to me the song most degraded by this has to be like number one with a bullet can we be friends again because the situation of that in the movie is uh so you have uh there's a scene towards the middle towards the end of the movie i thought it was towards the end of the movie but it turned out to be towards the middle because this movie is 13 years long um (laughs) it's 127 hours long (laughs) 12 years of vanilla sky (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a scene where tom cruise um you know the two girls in his life, the one who he likes and is dating now, and the one who, you know, drove off a bridge and killed herself, he, they start switching, you know, in his mind. You know, one will walk out of the room and the other will come back and be like, no, I'm Sophia. And he'll be like, no, you're not. And they'll scream. And he freaked out and tied Sophia to bedpost and, you know, beat beat her up off screen or and, whatever and and the way and, the way that cameron diaz chooses to get across i'm i'm actually penelope cruz is to do just a half-assed penelope cruz impression like i was doing yeah but um the the pivotal scene and the reason that he is in you know this mental institution getting psychology done at him is uh that he you know, he's in bed having sex with one slash both of them, and it's going back and forth, and he is freaking out and completely losing it. And in a moment of panic, he smothers her to death mm-hmm. and then finds out that it was uh, Penelope Cruz, which is the one he does like. So uh, at that moment, as soon as he realizes that he has murdered his girlfriend, can we... Can we be friends again? Or can we still be friends? I forget what it's called. Can we Starts still be playing. friends? Yes. Can can we still be friends? Starts playing. And it is one of the worst music choices. Like it completely does not fit. It's it's shockingly poorly done. So that is my choice. It's gotta be can we still be friends? Okay, that that's a good rationale, but I, I would like to for your consideration. My favorite things is it's not only uh bastardized by being you know placed in this film it it is performed live by a holographic john coltrane and and that that sort of use both of his image and of his music that that kind of pushes it over for me okay but my favorite things is too good of a song for that to ruin it for me like the john coltrane my favorite things but if I ever hear "Can We Still Be Friends Again," I'll think of that dumbass scene in this fucking movie. Mm. I, I gotta say, Eric, you won me over. Yeah, that's the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that. That's heinous. That's that's me, Mister Good at Arguments. I, I would also <laughs> like to say it's not as bad as the "Can We Still Be Friends" bit, but the "Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space" bit, where it's playing at his wake, it's mm-hmm. it's. It's not necessarily that the combination of music and image is insulting. It's 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 the fact that it's being used to underscore the death of this just nothing of a character. Tom yeah. Cruise is not he is not a character. He is a series of ticks. 
he is a series of like Cameron Crowe's cultural likes. He he is if you took if you took the my favorite music bit of a Facebook profile and turned mm-hmm. that into a human being, that would be Tom Cruise. So yeah. some people are face blind, so they can't they can't recognize faces. So what they do is they sort of the other characteristics of a person they hone in on. They'll remember their hair or the way they stand or the way they usually dress and all these things that aren't like the core thing of how they look. If you replace faces with like personality and sense of self, that's what's going on here. (laughs) You're picking at all the things around a sense of self, but not an actual thing. It's like when, you know, He's the college freshman who goes to the poster sale and sort of forms a personality with that. <laughs> but, like, the poster sale was at, like, an indie bookshop. <laughs> uh, I, I want to see the cut of this movie where instead of a 10-foot-tall Jules et Jim poster, it's a 10-foot-tall <laughs> version of either the, the John Belushi... Oh, I was thinking the John Belushi college poster. Yeah. That oh, or the Boondock God. Saints poster. I, when I was a college freshman, I had that John Belushi poster. <laughs> but, like, I was also 18 and not Tom Cruise. I, I, I saw someone made a, the ultimate college poster, which is... um. John Belushi in the college shirt, but, like, edited to fit into the Scarface uh, poster. (laughs) And instead of Scarface, it says The Big Lebowski. Oh, my God. Uh, I I didn't have a John Belushi college uh, poster, but I had, like, a thing I got from Meyer that is a sort of hefty sort of wooden wall hanging with the Animal House poster on it. Of course you do. And I don't even like <laughs> that movie all that much. Listen, college is a... It, when, when when you're first starting college, you have to have that kind of shitty animal house kind of shit, you know? I, I have since replaced it with the posters for Nightcrawler starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Multiple Maniacs by John Waters, both flanking a big velvet painting of a boat. The first... The first um. You know, Ben tells the story of when I first moved in, and he said I had this alien poster, which I did. It's a Weekly World News poster. Ah, uh, yeah. It's it's great. I still have it up on my wall. And so, you know, he's he says like, yeah, he had this alien poster. And I was like, oh, this guy's kind of quirky. And then I put up two framed pictures of Nixon on the windowsill, and Ben thinks, <laughs> oh, he's not doing this for attention. He's legitimately just kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while you were saying that, I, I looked above my TV and noticed my uh, print of a, I believe it's Godzilla vs. Godzilla poster, but it's in yes. Japanese, so I can't really tell. And that is next to, uh, so I got this uh, Lone Wolf and Cub Blu-ray set from Criterion, and uh, in the Lone Wolf and Cub movies, there is a, a baby cart that uh, the Lone Wolf pushes his cub around in, uh, I, I, I know the kid's name is Daigoro, but I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the main guy from Lone Wolf and Cub. Timothy Spall. <laughs> yep. I, I would watch that, but Ito Ogami, Ogami Ito, he pushes, you know, his son around in this, this baby cart that has a bunch of hidden weapons in it. And so on the Criterion packaging, there's a little flap 
on the box that you can pull open, and inside there's like a little uh, a little piece of paper that is a schematic of the baby cart and all the hidden weapons inside it. And I've got that framed next to my uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla poster, uh, and also next to a Captain America uh, comic book cover where he is fighting the Red Skull. I have um, just, I don't have any posters, but I have a calendar of uh, kittens nuzzling up to other cute animals. I'm going to roll through real quick everything that is up on the wall in my room. First of all, a big wood uh, wall art thing with a bun- with a record player, and, you know, the record player is made up, the background is a bunch of records. These are not records I'm particularly fond of, but, you know, they're just like, it's something that my mom got me as a gift, which is nice. And then next to that is a puppy poster, was also a gift, and then some uh, Black Square Radio stuff I got for Funkhouse. Uh, next wall, Weekly World News poster. Then a window with, you know, among other things on it, two pictures of Nixon uh, and a giant coin jar. Uh, then there's a, um, the world is a beautiful place and I'm no longer afraid to die. 2014 U.S. fall tour with the hotelier of Roswell Kid and Poster and the Grizzly poster. I got that at my first concert. Next to that is a poster of a map of Ireland commissioned by King George III in, you know, whenever that happened. I got that at the Beast of the Hunter's Moon. Then there's a bis- a road map of, you know, bicycle paths in um, Kent, Ohio. There was also the little poster thing that I got in my uh, vinyl copy of In the Airplane Over the Sea. And the poster that's on newsprint that I got in my copy of Between Bodies by the World's Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. So that's what I got going on. Um, in addition to the things I've mentioned, I've got a, I've got a Radiohead print that I got at a Borders uh, in St. Louis when uh, we went to visit our grandparents. You know, I remember that Borders. Uh, next to that, I've got a uh, sort of eight by ten of a Lamborghini that I got at Goodwill. It's just like a little 8x10 thing of a Lamborghini and a sunset. We, we went to St. Louis and visited our grandparents, but our grandparents do not live in St. Louis. Yeah, I guess we all just sort they of decided to They just also went up. to St. Louis. Yeah. I, I guess that's just the convenient middle ground between Indiana and Las Vegas. So. Yeah, I've got that, uh, a Cramps poster, Bad Music for Bad People, and some assorted art that I got from Goodwill. Because I like going to the uh, Goodwill art section and finding interesting paintings that people have just decided they don't want anymore. That's where I got the velvet painting of the boat. Yeah, I would do that, but I don't want a bunch of Thomas Kincaid paintings. <laughs> I th- oh. There have been just cheesy-ass Thomas Kincaid things, but there have also been cool things. Right, is there anything else we need to hit? Anything that's on our walls we need to describe before we get out of here? I one actually, you know, come to think of it, there is in my living room. We have a post a uh, puzzle that my roommate and I finished and then put up because my roommate really likes puzzles and he also really likes Super Mario. And that was a good one for four dollars. I found a Super Mario Brothers puzzle, <laughs> so I got that for him and I was like, here's a gift. And he was like, that's so nice. And then the next day he was like. I was also at Goodwill, and I got you a gift in return, and he got me a nine-foot-by-nine-foot world's largest crossword puzzle. <laughs> so both of those are now on our wall. It has over... It has, like, 27,000 clues. <laughs> wow. 
we're not going to finish it. Okay, now now that we've yeah, uh, yeah. finished reducing ourselves to the collection of cultural signifiers hey, uh, that Tom Cruise's character is. Wall Talk, the only <laughs> podcast where two siblings discuss what's on our walls. Let's move on to our Spall ratings. As always, we've got the film itself, Timothy Spall, and Spall Fashion. Shane, would you like to hit us off? Okay, so... Alright, the movie the movie itself... Um, and what is the um, what am I rating it on a scale of? Out of five spalls. Out of five spalls, the movie itself. And can I do half spalls? Uh, you can, but Eric doesn't okay, like I want, them. I, I do. I want to follow. I'm a purist. Whatever. I'm against uh, half spalls. Neil is a revisionist. <laughs> this uh, this, do... this is the split that will divide the left forever. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do one and a quarter spalls. No, look, just one look, spall. look. Just one. I spall, believe one in half spalls, but. Buddy, one one and a sixteenth spall. I'm not I'm not Dave Meltzer over here, okay? Oh no, uh, one spall. This is a worthless movie. I hated every second of it. I hate myself for having watched it. <laughs> uh, the entire time we've been doing this podcast, I've had it on in the background. I've now seen this movie twice. <laughs> I I might I might jump off a building like Tom Cruise does. <laughs> Oh, right, we didn't discuss that part of the ending, where he has we to... We don't need to. He's afraid of heights, and in order to... Because the dude's like, so what do you want? Do you want to, you know, continue in the dream and try it again, but do a good job this time? Or do you want to go back to reality? Whoop, you can take gravity. the red pill and see... <laughs> you can take the red pill and see the world as it really is, or you can take the blue pill and stay in, you know, whatever. Uh, and so he's like, uh, I choose to go back to the real world. He's like, well, you decided back way long ago that the way you decide to go back to the real world is to finally conquer your fear of heights by jumping off this fucking skyscraper. <laughs> I, I like that the fear of heights is not, it, it's not seated. It's not seated as a thing to be paid off later. It's just brought up there at the end. Like, oh, you're afraid of heights, no. buddy. No, he's like, he brings it up a few times. He There's a scene where he's standing on the table and he's talking to the psychologist and he's like, you know, I think my dad never really accepted that I was afraid of heights. I must have missed that part. Sense. And there's another thing where he's talking to Penelope Cruz about his fear of heights. And he says something really dumb, which is like, some people are afraid of the heights, some people are afraid of the fall. I'm kind of afraid of the impact. And I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> what the fuck do you mean you're afraid of the impact? I mean, so you're not afraid of falling. You're afraid of hitting the ground after you fall. I mean, it's Shut not up. the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop at the end. It's not the fall that will kill you. It's the rocks at the bottom of the fall, <laughs> which in Sundance. Uh, but yeah, I he he jumps off the building, and I was sure it was gonna play like the end of Hudsucker Proxy, where like the guy jumps off the building. And time stops while he's jumping off the building. And then something happens that I don't remember because I saw Hudsucker Proxy when I was like 10 or younger than that. <laughs> um, I am getting yelled at by my girlfriend right now because uh, I restarted. <laughs> so this is... Because it just ended, and I just immediately restarted it. This is now my third time watching it. I'm going to yell at you, too. Fucking don't do that. Love yourself, Shane. As soon as it's over, you better stop that right now. (laughs) I I gave it another review on Letterboxd. (laughs) I 
I, I gave it. I actually rated it lower. Well, I guess you were wrong in saying that maybe you'd like it better this time. Oh yeah, that's just how it be, you know. Oh. All right. So how many? I gave it one star. One spall. Yeah. And then uh, spall's performance. Spall's spall's performance. My God. What have I done? Man, in the days go by. Um. What it? Hmm. Because my issue is there wasn't enough of them. There was nowhere near enough spall. But every ounce of spall in there was pure gold. So I'm going to give it four spalls out of five. That's very solid. And what about spall fashion? Oh, how spall dressed in this? Yeah. Uh, I, I wish they had I wish they had him in more, you know, loud kind of. I wish he was more fashionable. I, I think he should have been peacocking the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd give it a th- three spalls. That's fair. Yeah. Very average. The thing is, spall can make anything look good, but this was kind of just, it was very muted, very boring, kind of. All right. Personally, um, I think that I'm going to give it two spalls, because I don't want to go as far down as to give it one spall, because we've seen a lot of bad movies. <laughs> on this podcast and I hated this movie I mean it didn't hurt me like I wasn't angry at this movie like I have been at other movies so for that reason I can't really give it one spall this Um, is not as overwhelmingly ugly as Alice in Wonderland uh, you see I should have that in context Mm mm-hmm I don't know. This this did piss me off though. It's pissing me off watching this for this opening for a third time. <laughs> Nothing has pissed me off on the show more than Jack Boots on Whitehall. So there's that. Um so Timothy Spall's performance, I think I'll also give it four spalls. His parts were the best parts of the movie, without any exaggeration. They were good. I enjoyed them. They were the only parts of the movie I can say that about. It felt out of place to have Timothy Spall in this movie because this isn't uh <laughs> so like do you are Tom Cruise and Timothy Spall friends because this is like the second time they've he's appeared in a Tom Cruise vehicle yeah well this was the uh, this first is a time. Timothy Spall vehicle first of all yeah, this <laughs> was before Last Samurai so maybe, okay well the- it's a maybe he got cast in uh, Last Samurai as an apology for being in this piece of shit. Last oh, Samurai, I that's give a, you my heart. <laughs> that's, that's such a terrible apology. <laughs> I don't know. The last, he, He's pretty okay in The Last Samurai. He gets to wear cool costumes, and he leads yeah. a prison break by pretending to be the president. Yeah, it was pretty dope. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, it felt weird because this was this is a role that Timothy Spall is well-suited to as, like, the the good, like, sort of mentor character, like the, the close friend who will help you out in a pinch. Um, and the, like, it was developed just enough that you would expect it to matter more. But it completely doesn't matter to the movie. It's so strange to have him there. It's like the Jason Lee character. Where it's <laughs> like, this is a character in a different movie. Yeah, that you put in here because you don't know how to make a movie. Ah, uh, I wish, I wish this Timothy Spall character uh, told an anecdote about leaving his wife by saying, "I'm gonna go take a piss." That was good. So then I'm gonna say, <laughs> what is you? 
All right, I'm going to say for Spall fashion, uh, agreed, three out of five. He's just wearing suits. It's pretty normal. It's just business standard. All right. Um, for uh, the film itself, I was tempted to give it two Spalls because while it is massively terrible, there are glimmers of brilliance, like the editing, the cinematography. They're doing their job very well in service of a terrible script. And, like, there are performances around the edges that are really attempting to turn this into something interesting. But it honestly kind of makes it more aggravating that those people are putting in good work and being failed this intensely by this lead performance and this script. Mm-hmm. So one small. <gasps> Scandalous. No, I, I, I completely respect that. Timothy Spall, I... I'm feeling like giving him a three because his performance, his performance is a five, but his material is like a two. So how many times are we going to have this discussion? You can't judge Timothy Spall for the role he's given. You have to judge his performance. So this is something that I've said again and again, probably. That's why I will die on this hill. That's why I'm saying I'm tempted because there is this dichotomy between the the little space he's given and the bad material he's doing it in and the the commitment he's giving to the role. What pushes it, what pushes it up to four stars for me, is that line reading Citizen Dildo. <laughs> and God, I love Timothy Spall. And Spall fashion, I agree, it is it is a three. It it looks better than it is given Tom Cruise's god awful hat, but it it's it's a it's a bland outfit. Do you think Spall could have pulled off that hat? Oh, definitely. Yeah. In, in the Love Punch, he has a, a very similar sort of hat. I, I think he has worn like similarly uh, boater-ish mm-hmm. hats. Oh, I, I think he wears a hat like that in the Last Samurai, but it works because he's playing he's playing a guy in like the 1800s. I would watch a show where Timothy Spall just tries on hats. Yeah, I want I I would follow Timothy Spall into the dark. <laughs> Just anywhere he goes, I'd watch. Love of mine, someday you will die. <laughs> <laughs> so you will. <laughs> oh. oh my god! But after our ratings comes our recommendations. Shane, what's your first recommendation? Okay, so I mentioned some recommendations beforehand. I've spent the show trying to think of better ones. <laughs> so, first off, I actually am going to go with one of my original recommendations, Breath of the Wild, the new Legend of Zelda game that I am just getting to, like, a year later after it came out. I that, That's the second week in a row that game has been recommended. Really? Second episode in a row. Shannon recommended uh, it last time. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the thing is, though, the thing is, this game opens with Link waking up over a hundred years in like a cryogenic freezer. <laughs> oh my god! That's why I thought, holy shit! Why don't I just go with this? Well then, <laughs> yeah, that um, that game is amazing. It's it's perfect. Um, my second recommendation, honestly, uh, just listen to the Free Will and Bob Dylan. That is much better than having to hear Bob Dylan in this movie. Oh, I I still can't get over the fact that after they play Bob Dylan, 
they have a shot where they recreate that cover. That is the most on-the-nose, terrible shit. It was awful. I hated it. I wanted to. I, I wanted to punch somebody. <laughs> I I would honestly be okay with them just recreating the fucking you know cover of um freewheeling Bob Dylan if they hadn't pointed it out at the end as well, <laughs> like the Ready Player One. Look what I did. Look 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 at this. You know, look what you made me do. Taylor Swift voice. <laughs> oh my god. Uh. <laughs> all right is that is that all your recommendations or are you I, no no that's it that's um i'm good okay so you're, so you're not going to be recommending recommending milkshakes oh, okay yeah you know what you know what yeah I, I said that before i have to do it milkshakes are great yeah um they love are, to shake and milk i have a controversial opinion i have never had an experience eating just physical ice cream where i thought wow this is better than drinking a milkshake Respect. Milkshake is milkshake is the best way to consume ice cream, in my opinion. I, now that you say that, I I don't think I've had a better experience eating ice cream than I have having a milkshake either. It's it's wonderful. It's letterboxed but for milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> do you have um, a Do you have a favorite milkshake place? Is there like a place you go where you know, okay, this this is the good place for milkshakes? Do you know any ducks that enjoy? <laughs> Um, one of my favorite places to get milkshakes is a local convenience store in New Jersey called Quick Check. And I think they have them at Wawa as well. They have these, like, this machine called a for real machine where you take this, like, you, you open up the freezer, you, you take this, like, um, like this sealed up, like, cup of frozen milkshake and you put it in the machine and out comes a nice tasty milkshake for you. And it's not as good as a milkshake you'd get at, like, an ice cream parlor. But when it's, like, 3 in the morning and you're drunk and you need a milkshake, <laughs> that is where I go to. All right. Uh, I also have a favorite milkshake place. That would be uh, Steak and Shake, the, the Midwest institution. Roger Ebert's favorite burger and shake place. I am so disappointed that I have no Steak and Shakes. Like... I'm steaks so, and shake is the plural. Steaks and shakes. I am steaks so, and shake. Steaks like, and shake. Like attorneys general. Yes. I'm very disappointed that my local, like, you know how, like, all across America there are just big burger places that people have, like, a dick measuring contest about? <laughs> like, like, in and out and what a burger. I'm very disappointed that mine is Shake Shack. Because <laughs> I think Shake Shack is just... Like, it's fine, it's good, but, like, you get something that is, like, moderately bigger than a slider, and they charge you, like, 14 bucks for it. Woof. It sucks. Like, it's good, but it just, it's, it's not, I don't like, I don't like it. I wish, I wish we had, you know, the, the steaks and shake, I wish I had, like, anything else, essentially. I, I'm not sure if Five Guys is one of those regional places or if it is a sort of national thing i i think it's everywhere i have a five guys and i love five guys but it is sort also, of on that ridge between also a great place to get a shake i don't actually remember ever trying a five guys shake uh they got them recently and they're pretty good i'm a big i'm a fan of that but i i do remember one time uh uh when i was on the quiz bowl team after a meet we went to five guys and uh i accidentally ordered two orders of fries 
because I wanted Jesus. a regular size Cajun fries, and they act and they accidentally got me an order of regular fries and an <laughs> order of Cajun fries. So when I brought that up, they gave me a refund and I got to keep the two orders of fries. And like, that's, awesome. that, that's basically just two big ass bags of fries. The thing is like a small thing of five guys fries can feed a family of eight. <laughs> so you had more fries than you would ever know what to do with. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was delicious. Yeah. All right. Eric, your recommendations. Uh, first of all, um, while we're on the topic of local places, you know, only in like a localized area, places that you can get a shake or something, for my thoughts on the matter, please uh, go to um, SoundCloud, look up Roswell Kid, and listen to the song I Pledge Allegiance to Sheets. <laughs> That's all I have to say on the matter. Uh, in addition to my other recommendation, oh, listening this, to some jazz. This is going to be the second episode with a, a Sheets Wawa discussion. Argument. Oh my oh, god. She, I've, so much. I've been to Sheets and I, I love Wawa. They're completely different things. I've never been to a Wawa, but I, I love Sheets. Wawa is great if you want like a big ass like hoagie. And okay. Sheets, is, Sheets is great because you can get two hot, do- hot dogs for a dollar. That oh, is amazing. Sure. That is the best deal I've ever seen in America. Just spend. If you have to be spending money, that's the best (laughs) way. My roommate, Ben, set up, uh, you know, in high school for like a talent show. They they needed to fill time, so he organized like a hot dog eating contest. And then he he just, he literally, he went to Sheets and he just spent like $20 on hot dogs and got like 40 hot dogs. (laughs) Um, So yeah, but. When it comes to actual media that I'm recommending, uh, there's a lot of stuff that this movie tried to do, and it did pretty poorly, which is a shame because when those things are done well, it's really interesting. There are movies that I really like. So I'm recommending stuff that has a sort of uh, dark, paranoid atmosphere that's you know thematically similar, and also stuff that deals with um, memory and not being sure what's true, not being sure who's telling you the truth. So I'm going to say The Cable Guy, uh, one of Jim Carrey's earliest and also best performances. Uh, Phantom of the Paradise, which Neil showed me, which is like a sort of updated version of Phantom of the Opera that I can't really describe. You just have to check that one out. It's wild. And Darren Aronofsky's Pie. All I'm right. not going to go into detail on any of those. All right. And uh, I'm I'm gonna recommend two movie, uh, one movie and one game that do the sort of genre blending thing this movie is trying to do much better. Uh, the first one is Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, the Best Picture nominee about a uh, woman who falls in love with a fish man. I was originally gonna recommend this until I saw that you were gonna do it. Oh, uh, it's like Doug Jones without the benefit of speech, gives a much more human performance than Tom Cruise. Oh, that Doug Jones, not the Senate candidate. Nope, nope. No, like, it is night and day difference. Doug Jones is better than Tom Cruise in this. Yeah. Like, I went into the breath, like, the the Shape of Water, just kind of expecting, because I haven't loved the last few Guillermo del Toro movies. I'm the same way, I'm the same way, like... In terms of, like, his English-language stuff I've watched, because I have not seen 
Pan's Labyrinth or The Devil's Backbone, which are both supposed to be very good. Should. I've seen Blade 2, which I really dislike. Mm -hmm. I've seen Pacific Rim, which I find kind of boring. It's it's a mixed bag as hell. Yeah. Like it is like the every scene with Ron Perlman and Charlie like Charlie yeah. Day is yeah. amazing. The, but then you have Charlie fucking Hunnam. Oh god. And and then I saw uh Crimson Peak, which I I I like, but it does have massive glaring flaws named Charlie Hunnam and Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> I Yeah. Like that is a film much like Tom Cruise in this movie, Tom Hiddleston is a god-awful romantic lead because he he just feels gross. Like, you look into his eyes and you know that his family has owned slaves within the last decade. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of, I was going into this more or less to make, you know, horny fish jokes. <laughs> But, like, I wasn't expecting to be as emotionally, like, shaken as I was. Like, this this is one of the only movies to make me just full-on weep. Just, like, yeah. sob in my seat. And, like, after the movie, like, I, I went out to my car, and I, I just could not, I just could not stop. It's just, there is a, a raw emotion on display here that, in lesser hands, could come off as cheesy and cloying but it's genuine here no yeah this this movie is like an exercise in sincerity like this this is a movie where the bad guy is literally rotting from the inside and that doesn't come off as as lame Mm -hmm. another great michael shannon movie yeah yeah he is he's insanely good yeah like sally hawkins made me weep without saying a word that one scene when she's trying to convince Richard Jenkins to help her, and like he really, was... and like he's just repeating what she says to her in this very this blasé, okay voice, and like it's still it's still emotionally just destroying. Yes, I this... didn't see it, so I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> her is good. Anyway, small talk. You know, hope you enjoyed the show. I, and my <laughs> and my other recommendation, which uh, is it's much less of a romance than The Shape of Water is. It's much more the sort of thriller murder mystery that Vanilla Sky is also trying to be. And that would be D Four Dark Dreams Don't Die, uh, a game by Swery sixty five, the creator of Deadly Premonition, which Shannon recommended on our last episode. And it's a it's a it's a mystery about this guy who has the ability to take mementos and just sort of fall back in time and investigate crimes. Back. Yes. And and he's trying to to find his wife's killer following her her last words to him. Look for D. And his name is David. <laughs> and he keeps running into people whose names begin with D. Looking for that D. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and. And and there are these these scenes where he uh, he's a Boston cop, and so his his friend from the force, this big fat jolly guy, he comes over and makes him lunch, and then they just have these gigantic lunches. Uh, there's a scene where uh, he, he does the Charlie Chaplin, uh, uh, the forks are the uh, the legs and the pieces of food are the feet, and do a little mm-hmm. dance thing. I I think he does that with like two sausages or something. And it's it's hilarious. 
So either play that game or watch the uh, super great friend let's play of it. Yeah. They're they're both very fun experiences. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, that's our recommendations. Let's move on to our plugs. Shane, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me a couple of different places. I am on Twitter at Schle- at Schlein Bleppy. <laughs> um, I am on Tumblr at Shane in the House Official. Neil, please come back to Tumblr. I miss you on there. Uh, I we had some we had some fun like five years ago. I I I keep wanting to, but then I realize I hate Tumblr's UI. Yeah, the thing is. Tumblr is no fun without, like, SunSuite, so it's not worth it. Yeah. I used to have fun on Tumblr back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I'm on those. Um, I don't have a podcast currently. I would like to. Ladies. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just got punched. <laughs> <laughs> I just got uh, punched by my, my girlfriend, Raises Eyebrow, who's a model, by the way. <laughs> God. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, that's it for me. All right, Erica, you said you had something special to plug. As always, y'all can catch me on Twitter at Eric is a joke. And then next Saturday, Funk House Berlin, consistently the highest rated political talk program in the history of the spoken word is coming back. Small talk is a black squirrel radio podcast. You can find it on the SoundCloud. And while you're there, you can check out the all cinema podcast. Now you're done listening to Spall Cinema. Check out Awesome, a podcast by some of the Black Square Radio staff. It's just some friends talking about movies, and it's a lot of fun. You should check it out. All right. You can find me on Twitter at F-U-C-K-I-N-A-L-P-A-M-A-R-E. Uh, my pinned tweet is a link to my short story collection. That's about it for where you can find me online. Spall is life, everybody. That's Spall, folks. And what was that you were saying, Shane? I was gonna say, isn't it funny that both of our um both of our Twitter names are Manflurry jokes? Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't know who these people are. I just know they're people in the old tweets app, but I don't know. Oh, Manflurry he's an interesting soul. Uh Manflurry game, I win. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh. Are we still recording? I mean I I record the whole call. So, oh, okay. Because, like, uh, that's the program I'm using. <laughs> um, I just want to say, you guys actually have broken my mind. Really? Because I was, I was, and I, I, I mentioned this in our DMs, I was in the movie theater to see Lady Bird, <laughs> and this trailer, this kind of hoity-toity trailer came on, and I'm like, alright, whatever. And I was, I was, like, texting during it, and out of the corner of my shitty little eye, I see, I see... I see Timmy, <laughs> and my girlfriend can corroborate on this. I start hooting and hollering like an idiot, <laughs> and I start I start clapping my hands like a circus seal. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my fucking god! I haven't gone that far, but I do with various different actors. As soon as they go on screen, I go, "That's my dude. That's my fucking guy." <laughs> Oh. I do that with, like, I have a whole cadre. Steve Buscemi, Jeff Goldblum, Tim I, Spall. I had to hold myself in my seat when I was watching uh, Morgan. It's this movie by Ridley Scott's son. And uh, Paul Giamatti shows up in the middle of it. 
I didn't know he was in it at all, but I was like, right. holy shit, Paul Giamatti! And then he what? got killed by a genetically engineered uh, super soldier kid. I really want them want there to be like an Avengers movie with all of these like C and D list character <laughs> actors. That's uh, all I want. Uh, it was American sometime. Splendor Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I uh, I watch um you know Saturday Night Live in the same way that everyone watches Saturday Night Live. Uh, I visit my family and my mom shows me sketches <laughs> that she likes. <laughs> But on the Sam Rockwell one, she showed me like four from the Sam Rockwell one, and they were all actually good, which is more than Saturday Night Live usually does. But they had one that was um, a Gucci Gang parody called Tucci Gang about Stanley Tucci. <laughs> oh my god! It was it was good. I enjoyed it. Oh, I I it was really great need because Sam Rockwell character actor was playing Stanley Tucci, <laughs> slightly more well known character actor. Oh. I, I really need to watch American Splendor again, because not only does it have Paul Giamatti as Harvey Pekar, it has uh, James Urbaniak as R. Crumb. Oh, my God. Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang. That's what I'm plugging this show, Tucci Gang.